Welcome to the Rockin' Life podcast, Rockin' Life After Divorce. And today we have Trina Hayes with us today. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Pear. How are you? I'm doing so well. I'm in Texas enjoying a sunny day and you're in Florida, right? Yes, I am. I'm in South Florida and it is actually 66 today, so it's kind of mild. So the, the Rockin' Life podcast, I started that three, four months ago. It's, it's time is going and it's so much fun. Uh, I did that mainly to give back. In the beginning of the corona crisis pandemic, my friend David asked, shouldn't we start a podcast? And I said, after some thinking, yeah, let's do that. And uh, I really love it. It's so much fun to get to know people's stories and uh, hear other people's stories people can connect with. And uh, when they hear your story, people are going to be able to understand that they're not alone in this process of going through divorce. For me, it was the most difficult thing in my whole life. I've said it so many times. And now looking back five years later, it's amazing the progress I've made. But when you're in it, in the middle of it, I try to explain it. Like For me, it was like a fog and feeling that I was standing still. But I was taking steps of progress. I got a counselor, a coach, and a mentor. And now looking back, I see the process. But when you're in it, it can be hard to see that progress you're doing. But the important thing is taking steps and not being bogged down and just feeling sad about yourself. You need to get out. You need to get out, get help from other people. Friends, I usually say you have to reach out to people. You can't do it by yourself. And uh, that, that's what this podcast is about, bringing hope to people, helping people see that there is a light in the end of the tunnel and uh, to help people understand that and to reach out. And I know that's what you're doing too, Trina. And uh, I really appreciate that you want to be on the podcast today and share your story and uh, also a little bit more about what you're doing today. And I don't know that much about you, Trina. And that's what's so cool about doing the podcast. I want to discover and kind of like, Uh, dive into it and I don't know can you tell me a little bit more about your story the divorce what was the most difficult things in your divorce and situation now when you look back I've actually been divorced twice I met my first husband when we were in the military together I was very young and after we got out of the military life happened we got married had a baby and the classic abuse cycle started from alcohol to verbal abuse and which then escalated into physical abuse. And as a young 20 something mother away from all of her family, I was very lost. And the only people I had around were a, a few friends, if you call them that, and all of his family. I had actually gone to my in-laws at one point and, and asked for help They were devoutly religious, not that there's anything wrong with that, but they called him and told him that he needed to get his wife in line. It was a very difficult situation. I felt very isolated. And because of some of the mental abuse and things like that, I had pushed all of my family away. So there was a lot going on. And it finally escalated to the point where it started getting very physical with me. And the second time that he injured me quite severely, I left our house and walked to the sheriff's office in the middle of the night and begged for help. We didn't even have a phone at the time. And 
it was just a very bad situation. I was very thankful that they assisted me. They brought me back to the house and let me get my son who had just turned three and gather a few belongings. And they put me up in a local motel and the sheriff and his wife actually came to see me and facilitated me getting in touch with my parents who I had been estranged from. That was a very hard phone call to make yeah. because here I was, I had said all sorts of horrible things to my parents over the years, just from the situation I was in and the reactiveness and they're trying to help me. And of course, it's just your classic textbook abuse scenario of isolating you from everybody and all of that. Luckily, my parents welcomed me with open arms. I happened to have been living in Southern Illinois when this happened and they were in Miami. So I made the choice to leave and the sheriff and his wife from this little podunk town that we were living in actually bought my son and I a Greyhound bus ticket because I didn't have two pennies to rub together. And we got on a bus in Paducah, Kentucky, and we took a, I don't know, an 18, 20 hour bus trip to Miami, Florida. Where I saw my parents for the first time in years. This was in 1997. Wow. Because I actually lived in Kentucky from 1996 to 1999, I think. Oh, wow. In Northern Kentucky, in Cincinnati. (laughs) Yeah, I was, we were actually living across the river in Southern Illinois, but Paducah was a bigger town and had a a Greyhound bus station. So the next morning I chose to literally walk away from my entire life as it was with a duffel bag of my son's stuff. And we literally, I mean, I had to buy underwear when I got to Miami. I had nothing of my own. I had my son's favorite ball and a couple of his books and a few of his clothes. And we got on a Greyhound bus. Wow. That must've been tough. It was very tough. And I look back at it and I'm like, wow. And being a divorce coach now and having talked to a lot of women, the abuse cycle is very difficult to get out of. And oftentimes, which had happened to me, luckily for me, when it escalated to the point of very physical abuse, it only took twice. And I was like, I'm out of here. I am not going to deal with this anymore. And he was starting to show signs of being physically aggressive to our son as well. So I made that hard step. And I know that's one of the steps that a lot of women have trouble making. Yeah. And I didn't the clothes on my back and in a bag of my son's stuff. And I moved, my parents took me in Miami and I started over again literally from scratch. And because my parents helped me and supported me through that whole process, it was, it was very challenging. I mean, I was in my early twenties. I ended up going back to school. I ended up filing for divorce. He actually rejected all the paperwork that was sent intrastate. So I was actually forced to get a divorce in default because he wouldn't ever respond to anything. So that was another challenge in and of itself. Never, we did talk a couple of times after I got to Miami, 
mean, he had a big alcohol problem. He had a big anger problem. There, were, there was a lot going on. And after I made it clear that I was never coming back, he pretty much stopped contacting. He never asked to see his son. He never paid any child support. Once I got my divorce papers, that was the last of him. How old is um, your son now? My son will be 27 in two weeks. Does he have any contact with his dad now? No, he does not. It was very challenging. And once I got to Miami, some things got a little clearer. So my son is also on the autistic spectrum. And he had some behavior issues even as a three-year-old, which would tend to set his father off, which I didn't understand. I mean, he, he's a three-year-old. But as he grew older, uh, got into preschool and kindergarten, I was able to get him diagnosed and get him with some therapists and things like that. But not being able to see the forest for the trees when I was there at the time, I don't even know if I had stayed, obviously what would have happened, but I don't think my son would have ever gotten properly diagnosed or have the life that he has now. Yeah. Um, so he managed to go through some state programs through the education system here and through vocational rehab, he got his degree at the university and has a full-time job. Yeah, he lived with me, but you know, but I'm so proud of him. I mean, he's a functioning member of society. Yeah. He bought his first car, he's making his car payments. Mom's super happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really awesome. It's like uh, supporting your kids and so now, uh, if you fast forward a little bit, then you got remarried when? I got remarried in 2011. Thought I was doing all the right stuff. I mean, yeah. I had gone back to school. That's quite a while after the divorce. Yes, a considerable amount of time after yeah. the divorce. And actually, I dated him for several years. We met and started dating in 2008. And I was against getting married again, which I know a lot of women talk about, I'm never getting married again. Yeah. And I honestly can say, even after having been through my first experience and the second experience, I can't say that I wouldn't because it's not about the institution of marriage. It's about the person that you're with and the relationship that you have. Yeah. So and, you say that you, even though you were a little bit against marrying, would you would it made a difference if you didn't marry? Like the marriage is more of a commitment for me. Dating is like it's a process to get to know somebody, but mm -hmm. I'm looking for a, a long term finding my best friend, the person I want to live the rest of my life with. And uh, I think the commitment is important in, in the long term relationship. Is probably one of the most important things. Yes. And so between 2008 and 2011, my mind changed on the I'm never getting married again. We just had a small civil ceremony. Did you feel pressured to, to uh, get married? Or uh, was it something that you or him wanted? He brought it up. I would say that there was yes, there was a little bit of pressure to get married. Yeah, because it had been for a while. You look back at things, hindsight's 2020. The longer we were together and he wanted to go here and he wanted to go there and he wanted to take this trip. I'm like, I have kids. I have a job. I don't have unlimited vacation. You know, yeah. I can't do that. This is, you knew what the situation was when you married me. And I'm not the kind of person, partner that I don't 
well, if I'm not going, you're not going. No, fine, go. Yeah. But if you're going to go, be faithful to me while you're gone. Yeah. He'd and been then, married before? Yes, he had years and years before. Yeah. We have the statistics against us when it comes to divorce. It's very clear that the first divorce is like 50%, but then it just increases percent-wise. Mm -hmm. The risk of ending up in a divorce a second time or even worse in the third time. Now, going through the first divorce and then the second relationship and the divorce, what are your learnings from that? And do you want to get married again? As I said, I'm not opposed to getting married again. I am dating someone that I'm very happy with. Yeah. As my second marriage fell apart and we went through our divorce process, I went through this whole deep dive, all of the self-doubt, all of the self-worth, all of the introspective things. And that's where I found mindfulness practice. And that's where I totally changed my direction in life. And nothing is a perfect scenario, but I learned different things from both situations. I look back 30 years and I'm like, okay, part of that was just being young and naive and not being able, when you're with an alcoholic who turns into an abuser, obviously there's not much I can do to control that situation. He was going to drink and he ain't followed your classic escalation of verbal and, and physical abuse and things like that. I think the best thing I ever did was get on that bus and get the hell out of there. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was a lot uh -huh. of courage to take that step because that's one of the hardest things for people to get out of that terrible situation. Yeah. And I see a lot of women that, well, I don't know what I'm going to do and I don't have anything saved. I didn't have underwear when I left. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, literally, I went to thrift stores and, and garage sales. And I went to work at the local home improvement store just to make money. And I worked my way up to having a better paying job. And then I bought my little first crappy car because, of course, my credit was horrible. Because yeah. as soon as I left, he took what few pennies we had in the bank and ran off with them and bills, checks bounced. So that ruined my credit. So I had to build my credit back up. I, I literally, I couldn't even get a checking account for the longest time because my credit was so bad. Yeah. So I literally started from nothing. So to the women that are out there with that fear, you can do it. It's sacrifice. But I look at my son now and I look at where I'm at. I went back to school. I got my bachelor's degree. And after I finished my bachelor's degree, I did my master's degree online. And I got student loans and I paid them off and I worked my tail off till 3 a.m. And, and writing papers. But I'm very proud of what I've accomplished. Yeah, that is awesome. And then I look at what happened with my second marriage and I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I get into those non-self-serving personal statements where, you know, things that you're not supposed to say to yourself. And the other thing I will say is, despite having gone through a lot of trials and tribulations, I am who I am, where I am, because of what I went through. Yeah. Now, what I have not wanted to go through the abuse and those things in my life, of course, but I'm the woman that I am today because all the shit that happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I probably shouldn't cuss on your podcast. No, but it's, um, it's so true. And I, I know that myself going in the marriage towards the end, we had a lot of strife in the marriage, a lot of uh, arguing. And uh, I became a different person 
in the marriage. I'm not blaming. It's just a fact of me, the way I, I wasn't myself in many ways. And this time after the, the divorce, I've had to rediscover me in many ways. What do I love to do? I started playing tennis again, started playing golf again, hanging out with friends more. Like a, a large part, portion of the, the later half of the marriage, I stopped enjoying that time outside of the family, which I think is crucial for any healthy marriage to have friends outside of the family, to have good friends to hang out, be able to go and play tennis or golf by yourself yeah. and just do those things and have an awesome relationship as well and not sacrifice those things. And I think that's very a key to, to have a, a healthy relationship. You. I totally agree. You have to have your me time, your own identity time. It, it's funny to talk about taking up golf and tennis and things like that. I never thought I would run around and hit a little white ball. Golf is actually one of the things that I took up after my, my second divorce, because I had a couple of girlfriends at the job that I was working and they were like, come on, it's so much fun. Just come on out there. And so they talked me into going. And I was at a kind of a very down point because once we got to the point of getting a divorce, he became very vindictive and it took four and a half years for me to get my divorce from him. Your second marriage? Yes. Oh, wow. He, he changed lawyers three times. He, he pulled every rabbit out of the hat and because he ran his own business, the financial side of things was a... I mean, one big giant rug that he tried to hide everything under. So it was a very long, arduous, conflictive divorce, very vindictive. During that process, I'm trying to heal, but I'm also still going through the trauma and the drama and the expense of the divorce and trying to maintain my family and my children. But I did a lot of self-discovery. I found mindfulness practice. I know a little bit about it, but I'm actually not totally aware of what it actually is. Mindfulness practice is getting back into your own self. And I like to say it's the pause for the cause. It is the ability to stop running everything on autopilot and pay attention to not only yourself, but what's around you. We go through so many things on automation, yeah. whether it's, well, pre-pandemic, getting up, getting ready for work, getting in the car, driving to work, and then you're at work and you're like, I don't even remember how I got here because you just started an automation. Yeah. And mindfulness practice, it does involve a little bit of meditation and it involves basically centering on yourself, whether it's your breathing or your connection to what you're sitting at or where you're touching or anything like that. And one of the things that it helped me with was dealing with a lot of the aggressive interactions that I was having with my ex, because you, you get in that pattern and then you're snipping back or you're feeding that. And it just kept escalating and escalating. And the lady I found that taught me mindfulness, she was like, okay, pause for the cause. It's okay. Literally you step back and you acknowledge the emotion that you're feeling and you choose how to react to that rather than that reactive 
it's a very powerful tool, especially when you're dealing with aggressive people, narcissistic people, just it works. And it took a little while, but when, after I finally got a little bit of a routine going, I would find myself having that conversation and he would start pushing those buttons. And I literally would say, okay, give me a second. What? And I would take my moments. I would, okay, this is what I'm feeling from what he is saying or the situation or whatever. And then I would choose to react differently to that situation. Yeah. Being aware in the way. Yes, exactly. And it changed the relationship of those interactions. And eventually he stopped poking the bear because he wasn't getting the rise out of me. And of course, after I would leave that situation, I'd be like, ah, beating on the walls or whatever. But then, but then I also was like, yes, because I was mindful. I chose how I was going to react in that situation and change the outcome of it. It was so powerful. It was just, this is glaring. It was just like this big aha moment. And so it, it, it's helpful in that regard. It's also helpful in just being more aware of yourself yeah. and your thoughts. It's helpful in dealing with the emotions. I got into journaling and I'll, I guess I will talk a little bit more about that in a while, but part of mindfulness practice teaches you to not ignore the emotion, but to acknowledge it so you can move through and past it. Yeah, I think uh, so you're not me- letting it build up. Yeah, as I know myself, going through prior to the divorce, I feel like uh, in, in a way it feels like a fog, being on autopilot in many ways, and then going through this process, having a counselor to talk to, kind mm-hmm. of like rediscovering yourself and what you love to do, has brought clarity into my life and getting out of this fog or whatever you want to call it, and being more aware of what's going on. Not that I wasn't aware, but bringing clarity in a relationship, it's like what you're saying. A lot of times you trigger each other, but if you can take a pause and just say, okay, just hold on a second and reflect and think instead of reacting. Now, other couple of things that you're going to talk about is what are the first steps to starting a self-care to heal? Those are the things that you probably talk a lot about in this summit as well. I do. And when I'm dealing, when I'm helping the ladies and during the summit, self-care is really, in fact, we talked about it last night on the live. Self-care is like that first step. Like some, some people are just so overwhelmed. They're like, where do I start? And honestly, the first step in the process, regardless of if you're just starting your divorce or you're done with it, the papers are signed or you're five or 10 years down the road, If you're finally getting to that point where, okay, I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to reclaim my life. I'm ready to shed this. The first step is honestly self-care. And and so what does that mean? It means a lot of different things. It means taking care of you and from the point of how you are thinking and talking to yourself, that is... Usually one of the things that people 
breeze past when they talk about self-care. Oh, self-care. I'm going to go get my my nails done, or I'm going to take a bubble bath. Well, that's some of it, treating yourself well or treating yourself. But I like to talk about self-care in how are you talking to yourself? Yeah. Those moments where I was just a few minutes ago, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so stupid. No, (laughs) you're really not. And what I like to point out is, would you say the things that you say to yourself about yourself to anyone else out loud about them? Oh my God, Perry, you're so stupid. I would never say that to you. Oh my God, you're so ugly. I would never say that to you. Oh my God, you're fat. I would never say that to you. You're a person I care about. You're my friend, my son, my daughter, my, my best friend. So if you're not going to step out and say those things to another human being that you care about, why are you saying it to yourself? And repeating those negative things just reinforces it. You become whatever you think about yourself. And if you are among people are very negative, it's, yes. that's what you're going to become like. You usually say that you become as your five best friends. And um, that's another thing in uh, what I talk a lot about is to, to draw in people in your life that you look up to, that speak life into you, because it's a lot easier to live life when you have people that have a positive energy and aura about them than negative. And a lot of times I think uh, a lot of these negative talk comes from your environment too, how you grew up, the friends around you, and to be able to distance yourself from people that are negative, uh, that speak negative around you. So I, I think yes. that's part of it as well, to get the help to turn that corner. Because sometimes it can be hard to, to change something that you have a habit of doing. It is very hard. And, and you hit on a couple of really good points there. And another part of starting on that journey to recovery is evaluating who you have around you. Yeah. And how they interact with you, how they're even addressing the divorce or lack or not even addressing it, their attitude. I separated myself from several people during the process because they were either, no offense to anyone named Nellie, but they were either the negative Nellie and always picking at the scab. That wound is not going to heal if you continue to pick at it. And sometimes it means having a difficult conversation. So if it's not someone you can distance yourself from, say a family member, you know, you, you need to go and say, Hey, cousin, I really, I'm working through healing from the divorce and things like that. I would really appreciate it. If every time I see you, that you are not bringing it up again or talking about how horrible he is or how you can't believe he did that. Stop bringing it up all the time. It's not that it's a taboo subject, but if you're ripping it open every time I see you, it's not letting it heal. Yeah. And it's not being a positive thing. So that's very important. Sometimes you have to un- unfriend people. <laughs> yeah. And you, you don't have to out. be best friends. You can always, uh, if it's a family member, maybe you just need to spend less time with them in a nice way. I, I'm not for completely cutting people off unless it's physical abuse and and, and stuff going on, but uh, from a family member. But I think uh, communication is is very important to to be clear with people and having boundaries, setting boundaries. That's probably one of the biggest 
problems in in my relationship that being codependent and uh, not having boundaries not protecting your own self who you are and uh, Mm -hmm. that's something I've learned a lot about and I think having boundaries also brings respect when you can say this is okay but now you overstepped that boundary what you said you're not you should not say things that hurt me vicious things and if that happens, you have a consequence. And to set those type of boundaries brings a lot of respect into a relationship. Yes. And respect is important with any relationship, whether it's an intimate relationship or a friendship. Yeah. And evaluating those boundaries is another step of the healing and the moving on. There are definitely things that I have my no-go list. I have my list of things that I will not tolerate from anybody in my life. Yeah. And especially when you're struggling to get over things and your self-worth is down, you have a tendency to accept things that you normally wouldn't. And that's something that you have to be mindful of. You have to take a good hard look at what is an acceptable thing to you? What are the things that you desire in a relationship? And one of the things that are absolutely no-goes. And communication is one of them. Like I said about talking to family members, I talked to a relative of mine and they were like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize I was doing that. I'm so sorry. I won't do it again. And I'm like, it's not a taboo subject because I don't want it to be, but I just don't want to have it be the only thing we ever talk about. And I want to talk about where I'm going in life now. So sometimes it's just a matter of being upfront with people and people don't like to talk about divorce. There's a, they're like cooties and and they're going to catch it or something. It's Um, funny. I say the same thing. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) it's it's crazy. I, I think we need to talk more about divorce and so people learn about it. And that's part of why I have the podcast to bring awareness because there's so much stigma around divorce. And uh, I think people don't even know how to act around people going through divorce. I think a lot of people, they just scurry whenever they hear people going through divorce instead of trying to help out. And one of the most important things for people that go through divorce is to have people around them and having a support network. And I asked people actively to help me. It was the counselor uh, because I was going through a lot of loneliness. And I think this is probably more important for men because a lot of times men doesn't have the kids, especially here in the US. In Sweden, it's much more common to have 50-50. And I don't really know what's better. I had very difficult time going through from spending a lot of times with the kids and then cutting my time with the kids to a minimum. And that brought a lot of loneliness and depression And it was such an instant thing because I didn't initiate the divorce. We were struggling, but I didn't think we would end up in the divorce. So it was very difficult. How did you handle, did you go through like loneliness or depression or suicidal thoughts? It seems like almost every single person I talked to have gone through similar things. I did. I, I never had the suicidal thoughts, but I went through a couple different times in my life. Coming out of the abusive relationship, I I had a lot of work to do. 
and I was young. And when I look back at that now, and I just, I thank God for my parents because they supported me mentally, yeah. physically, emotionally. And then on the second divorce, and I always feel I'm a divorce coach and I've been divorced twice, but it's twice the experience, right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, no, I say the so, same thing. I don't think uh, a married person, and that's when I reached out to people, the people that couldn't understand and connect with me and where I felt that they understood me are people that have gone through a divorce. Mm -hmm. The other people listened, but I never felt that they really understood what I was going through. And I think that's crucial in trying to help somebody. So I commend you for going out and helping people through divorce because it's very difficult, if not impossible, to do yourself. Thank you. Yes. And that's one thing that for everybody listening, don't be afraid to ask for help, whether it is a close friend, clergy, a counselor, a therapist, a coach, any and all of the above, because while there is this stigma about it, and even in the US, there's, there's a big stigma about mental health and things like that. And I'm trying very hard to work with all the people that I know about that stigma as well. But there's so much out there and there's so many more resources. If you're co-parenting, co-parenting is a whole nother world. So divorce with and without children is difficult. When you add co-parenting in and depending on the relationship and all of that, that adds this whole nother expansive array to the, the complexity of it. Yeah, And then you have, am I a good mom? Am I doing the right thing? Should I stay for the kid? Should I not stay for my kids? There's, you know, oh, well, he was able to take them to whatever the theme park. And that's what I wanted to do. It's not a competition. And one of the things that I like to talk to my divorced moms about is you have to let go of that competition mentality. And you have to approach your co-parenting relationship as a business arrangement, yeah. which sounds really weird, but you have to try as much as you can to step back from the emotional part of that and focus on what is the best for your child. Yeah. Is it the best thing for your child if every other weekend when you're doing pickup and drop off that you and dad get into this massive blow up? No. Don't give little Johnny a message for dad or vice versa. They're not the messenger. If they're older and you want to involve them in some of the decisions, that's something. But you need to take the parental part out of the view of the child, in my opinion. I totally agree. And sometimes you have to be the bigger person. I'm going to go to the ball game and he might be bringing his girlfriend but he's there supporting your child. You're there supporting your child. What's your child going to think? Oh, cool. Mom and dad are here. The child doesn't care usually that the girlfriend is here yeah. or the boyfriend or whatever. Mom and dad are here. Mom and dad love me. They're supporting me. And to also be very aware of when you are interacting at the nonverbal communication is so important. And kids pick up on so much more than you think they do. So they feel the tension. And you may not even like your ex-spouse, but 
you have to put on that party face for lack of a better term, because if your child thinks that when they go to the other parent's house and they have a good time that they can't come back and tell you about it, that's going to start breaking down the communication between you and your child. Yeah. And I know that's so hard. So what did you do at dad's? Oh, I did this and I did that and I did that. And if you're like, they can see that. And then they're going to be like, oh my God, I don't want to tell mom I had a good time. I can't have a good time. And then they feel guilt. And then they're going to stop communicating with you. And it may not be the thing that you want to hear, but you need to work very hard at opening that communication up. It is our biggest responsibility as parents to do what is best for our children. And sometimes it means putting that face forward and also showing them that there are ways of you may not be with their dad anymore, but you are still supportive of them having a relationship with your dad. And hopefully you can reach some sort of co-parenting management that is not totally aggressive. And I know every situation is different. For example, my son's father, if I had stayed in the state, I don't know what would have happened because of the abuse and the aggression and the alcohol and things like that. So obviously take that into consideration. If there is physical or mental abuse or substance abuse, that needs to be taken into consideration as well. Yeah, for me, it's been very difficult with co-parenting. And it's difficult when both parties seem to have so much strife and not willing to getting a better communication. And for mm-hmm. me, it's been a lot about the staying connected with the kids and doing everything I can to, to stay and having a, a good connection with the kids. And then having this kind of like a roller coaster ride for for years sadly enough but i think it's also very important to look long term it's uh just because it's strife during a short term here depending on the age of the kids of course my kids were anywhere a couple of them were adults as we're going through the divorce but uh, two of them were minors but to be able to stay connected with them and being creative in that I think that's one of the most important things, to be creative, figure things out that they love to do. I traveled a lot initially back and forth to Sweden. Mm -hmm. I don't travel as much now, but I started playing online games because three out of four, they played online games. So I had to learn these online games, (laughs) League of Legends, and I spent a lot of time learning them. And then we played for a year and a half, and we had a lot of fun. And the thing is, when you call a kid, on the phone, for example, for dads, you might only see them every other weekend. And mm-hmm. then in between there, sometimes it's hard to, to have a conversation with a child more than five, 10 minutes. And then you kind of, what are you going to talk about? But yeah. if you play a game at the same time, you're like just hanging out together and you're playing the game, you can chat in between. And uh, road trips is also a, g- a great way to stay connected with the kids. I love road trips. and uh, Or just find a sport or something that you both like to do together. Like right. today, I went rock climbing with two of my kids. And oh, then we had awesome. sushi because they love having sushi. So we did a sushi date with rock <laughs> climbing today. And uh, it was great. But it's just That's these an little, awesome day, yeah. Yeah, these small things that uh, staying connected with them 
because they're going right. to be your kids the rest of your life. And uh, going to adulthood, you become friends. Is my goal to have uh, my kids as my best friends and being in that creative spot. And sometimes it takes a little bit of time to be creative too. And that's something that needs to be, uh, I prioritize the kids all the time. It's funny you talk about using the game to maintain that connectivity. There's other things for co-parenting. There's, there's apps now that can help with some ease, some of that stress because it facts, not emotions kind of thing. So if I am collaborating with my co-parent on a schedule or everybody has the best memory of what they have done, but they're not necessarily as aware of what the other parent has done. So if everybody's putting in the receipts into an app or if, hey, I want to switch weekends for you and with you and things like that, And even to the point of going back to court, some of these apps can support even showing logs, even to the point of, hey, I went to pick our child up and you mark yourself on the map, a GPS location to prove you were there and the other parent wasn't there with the child. So the parent can't come back and say, oh, well, they never showed up. Yeah, I was there. I can show it. So you can also use technology to sometimes help facilitate things. And I know in some instances, it's even court ordered. And that's usually more in extreme cases. There's no no contact except through this app. Yeah. So all the messages are through there, they're logged, all of the you know communication and things like that. But you can use technology to improve your co-parenting relationship because then it's not about, oh, well, I need $10 because there's a field trip. Yeah. No, you put it in the app. I spent the $10 and it shows in the little pie chart and, and it all balances out at the end of the month. Or if it doesn't, then you know how to deal with it. It can be very difficult, but there is help out there in different ways. We're going to round off the podcast here. We had a, a great time together, hanging out, talking about all kinds of different things. And I just had a, like a last question. Was there anything that you learned about yourself going through this very abusive divorce but also going into a second marriage, you weren't real sure if you want to get married, you did get married, mm-hmm. you had another divorce. Going through the, these two relationships, and now you're in a new relationship, a dating relationship, is there anything that you like stand out that you learned about yourself that you do different now than you did in the first and second marriage? That's a great question. And there is so much. I, I really feel like, I am a different person than I was 10 years ago. I'm so much more aware of who I am, what I want, and I and the ability to communicate my wants, my needs, my desires to my partner and the people in my life. That has helped me tremendously. It's just, you talked about setting boundaries, I had to figure out, you go back and hindsight's twenty twenty. Well, how did it go from this to this, you yeah. know, because like, how did I even get there? And some of it is knowing yourself and staying true to yourself and setting boundaries. And yes, you flex 
in a relationship, you learn to like new things and you learn to try new things, but you should not change who you are at your core for someone else ever. And when I look back at, especially my second marriage, I have done that. I have tried to tweak and adjust myself and the way I was behaving and, and a lot of things to fit the mold of what I thought was right at the time. And ultimately it wasn't true to myself. And that was one of many of the challenges. I mean, you add infidelity in there, you add a a lot of other things in there. But I think the biggest thing that I can say, especially in the last seven years is I know who Trina is now. And not one of those ah, kind of people. I'm actually a fairly introverted person, unless I'm with some people that I know. I love to help people. I have totally transformed myself and my life and what I do to help people get through these challenges and to help them get their self-confidence, to help them look at things and go, I can do it. And I just think that anything is possible if you put your mind to it. Yeah, that's such a great ending to the podcast. And it's a very similar for me too. It's, I love me. I didn't like myself in some ways and trying to rediscover who I really am, what I really love to do. And that's a fun process too, to go through, to rediscover who you really are, what your passions are, etc. And a lot of times that's very difficult to do yourself because you have blind spots. And without having, uh, for example, a coach or a, uh, a mentor that can see a different perspective, it can be difficult. Or if you have a best friend that can also speak into your life that you trust. So a little bit more about the summit. Where do people find information about the summit? And it's already started a few days ago, but it's a long way to go. So the summit started on January 11th and runs through the end of January. It is the post-divorce reboot summit. I have brought over 20 speakers, coaches, trainers, industry professionals from co-parenting to mindfulness practice, to finances, to dating, all sorts of amazing people that I either knew in the industry or have met through this process. And the interview and a lot of them are joining me live on Facebook for question and answers each day. But you can go to postdivorcereboot.com to check out the summit, sign up for your free seat and get access to tons of great information, tips and tricks and downloadable meditations. There is so much good information there. It's amazing. And it has been just an amazing endeavor to put on. I am enjoying it so much and meeting people. I found Pear through one of the ladies that I know that was a guest on his podcast. I was like, we need to talk. Yeah. <laughs> um, it has just been a great continued expansion of my circle of, of people. That is so good to hear. And I I really hope that you listeners go into the summit, learn a lot. And that's what this podcast is about. It's bringing hope to people that are going through the struggling process, which a lot of people go through. It's not only a short term. A lot of times people struggle long term, like years. But you can shorten that process by getting help from other people. And I think men are more not wanting to get help and not willing to reach out. I speak to you guys 
especially reach out to people, get the help you need, get back on track, you can have an awesome life. Actually, you should say that divorce can be the catalyst for your amazing rest of your life. And I truly yes. believe that. And uh, if you have any questions for the for me or that we can bring up questions on the podcast, please email the Rockin' Life uh, podcast at email.com and uh, with any questions uh, or if you would like to be interviewed. I've had several people contacting me and want to be interviewed and share their story. And there's such power in hearing other people's stories and how they were able to do this journey and share that journey with us. So. We'll end the podcast on that note and hope to see you soon. I I send a podcast every Monday and looking forward to getting your response. See you guys and and thank you so much, Trina, for being on the podcast. Thank you so much, Per. I really enjoyed it.